Are you looking for a brand new conversation podcast? Well, you found it. My name's Ivan Pugioni, and in my relaunched podcast in Melbourne last week, I speak to everyday people who do extraordinary things. When you go into the, the inner workings of the story, you know, when you get into the nuts and bolts of stuff, even if you're going to have a story about escapism, you want the reader to easily relate to things. You can find me on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and pretty much wherever else you can get your podcasts. I was just uh, going over the Jake Jarmel book, and I understand you worked with him very closely in this. Yes, yeah. <clears throat> yes, I did. Uh-huh. And, uh, anyway, I was just reading your final edit, and... Um, there seems to be an inordinate a number of exclamations. Uh, well, I am. Um, I felt that the writing lacked a certain emotion and intensity. Ah, you know, it's, hmm. Hmm. Um, it was a damp and chilly afternoon, so I decided to put on my sweatshirt. But I don't want to be a secondary character. <laughs> Even where are my socks? <laughs> I don't like these ones. Fuck your socks. <laughs> I wipe my ass with your socks. That's it. You're out of the will. That's fine. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of But I Don't Want to Be a Secondary Character, a Seinfeld podcast where we talk about the secondary characters from the greatest show of all time. My name's Ivan. I'm Stephen. And each week we have a random episode in the series and we talk about the secondary characters which illuminate the episode and make it even better. But Stephen, as it is a fifth episode, we don't just do an episode of Seinfeld, we talk about uh, special secondary characters who have their own episodes. That's right. So every fifth episode, we concentrate on a major secondary, uh, characters that cross seasons and storylines and not just appear in one or two episodes. And this week, we're talking about two in particular. We're talking about Elaine's bosses, uh, specifically uh, Mr. Lippman and Miss... Mr. Pitt. Mr. Pitt, Justin Pitt, that's right. And you're probably wondering, hang on, didn't she have three bosses? Uh, Yes, we uh, have done an episode already on Jay Peterman in the past, so we will touch on a little bit about him, but I don't think there's really more to add about him. No, we covered him pretty comprehensively back when we did him. If you want to go back, I can't remember which episode it was, but just scroll back through our feed and you'll find a a specific episode on uh, Jay Peterman. He's he's too major of a secondary to not have his own episode. Of course. I think it's one of the multiples of five, obviously. Yeah, yeah. If you can count in fives, you'll be sweet. <laughs> you'll be sweet. Yeah, you'll be able to get some Peterman goodness. Yeah. So we won't talk about him too much. No. But uh, Littman and Pitt, we'll uh, talk about them. And also the actors who played them. Uh, we'll talk about uh, Richard Fancy, who played Littman. And also the actor... Ian G- Abercrombie. Ian Abercrombie, yes, who played Mr. Pitt. And also there was another actor who played <laughs> Littman, Harris Shaw. That's right. In one episode of The Library. That's right. Before mm. we get into the episode, if you want to email us, you can. Podcast at gmail.com. You can say hello on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Reddit. Uh, you can listen anywhere. Uh, you can listen to this podcast anywhere you get your podcasts. Uh, and if you want to help us out, it would be awesome if you would subscribe to us, review us, rate us, or tell uh, other people about us who you might think uh, uh, enjoy us. Yeah, of course. <laughs> if you uh, do, please. <laughs> yeah. And finally, if you want to check us out on Patreon, you can head to patreon.com forward slash B-I-D-W-B-A-S-C and check out the different tiers. Uh, for various dollars per month uh, gives you access to 
various bits and pieces. And there's also tiers for content creators as well as sponsors. So if you want to put your name out there on the podcast, let us know and uh, we'll give you something nice. Indeed. All right, let's get on with the episode. Uh, We'll start with Seinfeldia. So every week we read a random Seinfeld fact from a little desk calendar that we have. (laughs) They're all from 2018, but it doesn't matter. The facts are all the same and it's all good. That's right. Just four years after Seinfeld ended, four years, TV Guide named it the best show of all time. Hmm. Four years later, after it finished. I remember when it was on. I can't remember specific articles or discussions, but I remember it being called one of the best TV shows ever as it was on. As it was on, you yeah. Know, and, it's, yeah. and its legendary status has only grown. Of course, yeah. And it's gotten even bigger with Facebook communities and stuff like people that I follow as well. That's right. It's great. Uh, it also it was held in higher esteem than shows like I Love Lucy. The Honeymooners, All in the Family, and The Sopranos. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Sopranos. Ooh. Oh, oh, you're not too sure about that one? No. I Look. So when's I mean, the Sopranos cast happening? Oh, there's already a bunch out there. <laughs> there's one, I think it's two guys from New York and New, New Jersey, and they talk about the real-life locations because they grew up there, and it's like, even if I wanted to do a Sopranos cast, I can't beat that. Well, we're not from New York, and we do a Seinfeld podcast. So That's true. It works out. That's true. You can, That's true. You can put That's an Australian spin on it. You can talk about how The Sopranos was on Channel 9 at like 11 at night. You <laughs> That's know. true. Oh, new episodes were on when you had to go to bed. Yeah. You know? No. Nah, I'll just leave it to the to the people who can do it better than me. Fair enough. Seinfeldism. So every week we mention any any relatable incident in our <laughs> life to Seinfeld uh, where real life and Seinfeld crossover. Do you have any this week? Oh, I had one, but I forgot to write it down. All right. Well, I've got three. Well, two are mine and one is Stacey, so I'll mention it on her behalf. Nice. See if you can mention. Uh, see if you can remember it as I'm going through mine. Oh, I think I remember Stacey's, but you can uh, you can mention it. Cool. Yeah. Uh, so I think this has happened the last two or maybe even three weeks. Uh, Seinfeld again was mentioned in a podcast that I listened to <laughs> through the week. Can't remember the specific reference or the specific podcast, uh-huh. but it was mentioned. Yeah. Uh, the second Seinfeldism I had, my partner, I think on Saturday or Sunday, sent me a message. She was working. She was on uh, Facebook Marketplace and someone in Melbourne was selling a copy of the, the Kramer. Like a framed oh, picture of the Kramer. Did you buy it? No, I didn't. Uh, she did. said, I'm going to go and buy this tomorrow for you. And then we forgot. So I think it's gone. Yeah. Um, yeah. But if it's still available, check it out. And uh, it's, I think it's 20 bucks. Good. And the third Seinfeldism is, again, on behalf of Stacey, she took a photo uh, of a, I guess, a sign or a picture of a drink called Cherry Seinfeld, which is a cherry milkshake, cherry flavored milkshake sold at Lord of the Fries. I, I thought it was, wasn't it an ice cream sandwich? Is it an ice cream sandwich? I thought it was an ice cream sandwich. Oh, okay. Whatever. Because you know, I, I remember Stacey's photo. I was like, no, I'm pretty sure it was an ice cream sandwich. Okay. Yeah. Sure. But anyway, it's, yeah, it was still cherry. Yeah. But yes, Cherry Seinfeld. Yeah, which is yeah. Uh, available at Lord of the Fries, which is a, a vegan kind of fast food chain here in Melbourne. Yes, yeah, so obviously vegan-friendly ice cream. Yeah. Yeah, great. Excellent. I, I really want to try one, actually. Yeah, me too. Because I like cherry and I like Lord of the Fries, so <laughs> That's right. I think it'll be good. <laughs> Did you remember your Seinfeldism? No. Oh. <laughs> Dang, it was so good, too. I was like, uh, no, damn it, damn it, damn it, damn it. Oh, well, just, yeah, yeah maybe next week. Yeah, next week. Uh, Seinfeld news? Seinfeld news, yeah. What have you got, man? How many uh, articles this week? Uh, two this week, so a bit of a quieter week. <laughs> so through the week, Forbes uh, magazine released an interview with Patrick Warburton, who uh, plays Putty. Yeah, that's right. Yep, that's right. <laughs> that's right, babe. That's uh, right, babe. And uh, in the interview, he talks about all sorts of things, including his time on Seinfeld. Yeah, what he, did he say? Uh, I didn't make a note of what he said specifically, but uh, he does make a few mentions uh, of his time on, on set and uh, experiences playing putty. So check that out. Oh, nice. Yeah, the second bit of news, uh, and easily the best part of the news this week, uh, through the week, Jason Alexander, Jason Alexander, who plays George Costanza, commented to TMZ, about the recent revelations that ancestors of the German family who own Krispy Kreme donuts 
profited from Jewish labor during Nazi Germany. What the? Yeah. So, oh, that's pretty uh, provocative, isn't it? Yeah. So they're a German sort of investment conglomerate, and uh, their family back in the day profited from from Nazi labor. Uh, sorry, from Jewish labor. Uh, what made him come to that? Uh, what do you mean? What? How come he he said that? Well, TMZ were just sort of following him, and they 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 wanted him to just comment on it because he's Jewish, right? Uh, and uh, what he said. <laughs> What he, well, he's well. I don't know oh, if he's no. Jewish, but he's definitely the son of Jewish parents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess yeah. he's Jewish. Anyway, sure. Um, he he made a joke about the the company's donation of eleven million dollars. So to sort of take accountability for the past uh, owners, I guess transgressions, right? Um, or you know, mixing with Nazis, they donated eleven million dollars to various Jewish charities. Sure. Um, you know, just as a sign of acknowledging their past and trying to make sort of some sort of recompense for it. Jeez, okay, um, yeah. And Jason joked about not getting any of the money himself. He should have been paid directly. Um, Repatriation. That's right. Um, <laughs> you know, and if they didn't offer him money, he could have at least gotten some delicious treats. Yes, yeah. and that's like him in the betrayal. Repatriation. That's right, <laughs> yeah. Um, and he says, uh, on a serious note, he did say that he respected the Ryman family. They're the company who own, um, they're the family who own the company that own Krispy Kreme. Um, you know, that them trying to make amends for their relatives I, I guess or their ancestors transgressions is is um you know is noble yeah and it's honorable yeah um and he doesn't blame them directly for their ancestors actions so as you can't really do that no you can't um but yeah i thought that was a pretty cool little seinfeld tidbit that is yeah that's yeah. very uh very uh, left of field i didn't expect something like that that's right Jeez. and the only other bit of news it wasn't it's not news per se but i just wanted to mention it because you forwarded me through the week a article in smith journal which is kind of like a arty hipstery kind of magazine yeah a bit too highbrow for me yeah mm. um um, and it was an article, I think it was from July 2018, and it's about an artist named Morgan Blair, and he's an impressionist painter. Uh, and amongst all of his works, he's painted a series of uh, Seinfeld, sort of famous Seinfeld images or iconic images in the impressionist style. Yeah, with the uh, oil. Was yeah. it the oil paintings? Yeah. I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Crazy, um, hey? Yeah, but you can check him out at morganblair.com. Yeah. Um, and it's sort of set up like his website's kind of set up like a blog with all of his his works in chronological order. And if you scroll down the page a bit, you'll be able to see uh, his series of Seinfeld paintings. Yeah. I think it's about eight or ten of them. They're they really cool. amazing. Some of them, really I think one good. of them was Kramer, one of them was George. Yeah. One of them was, I think, was Monks, I'm pretty yep. sure. Yeah. yeah, there was the four of them sitting there. Yeah, yeah, that's um, right. I'm pretty yeah. sure there's one from the Sniffing Accountant. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, a lot of really iconic images and really, really well done. Nice. And speaking of iconic images, we have a few secondary characters to talk about today because it is What's the Deal With? Every fifth episode, we talk about one or more major secondary characters who, Steve, that we feel that deserve their own episode. That's right. And today we're talking about Elaine's bosses, well, two of them anyway, uh, Mr. Lipman slash Mr. Breckman, as well as Mr. Jones. Justin Pitt. So what do you reckon? We'll have a quick break and we'll come back and uh, talk about the actors and these characters. Sounds good. We'll be back. You're listening to But I Don't Want to Be a Secondary Character. Welcome 
welcome back to this week's episode, but I, but I don't want to be a secondary character. We're talking about uh, Elaine's two bosses, other than Jay Peterman, uh, Mr. Lippman, and Justin Pitt, Mr. Justin Pitt. So we'll start off with Mr. Lippman. Mr. Lippman, yes. So Mr. Lippman, he was first portrayed not by Richard Fancy, the one that we know and love, but uh, first portrayed by actor and singer Harris Shaw in season three's The Library, one That's of my right. favourite episodes. He is known for appearing in the TV movie The Crossword Mysteries, as well as appearing in the films The Holiday Calendar and Back to Back to Love. Rather, uh, He's also played the live-action version of... I loved this. He's played the live-action version of Super Mario for the Donkey Kong ColecoVision TV commercials in 1991. Oh, yes. yes. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've never seen those, but I can imagine they're pretty iconic. Mm. <laughs> and um, he was a singing waiter at the uh, Pig & Whistle, some establishment in America I've never heard of. Um, he's After that, he formed a show group called Four on the Town. Okay. And he performed with them, and he's also won accolades in theatre, uh, particularly in the Harry Truman musical, The Buck Stops Here. Nice. Yeah, so very illustrious career, Indeed. singing and acting. Good for him. And uh, he was later portrayed in uh, future episodes by Richard Fancy, the one that pretty much all of us know, uh, for another 10 episodes of the show. And funnily enough, Stephen, he was credited as a Mr. Brickman in The Red Dot. Really? Even though he is addressed by Elaine as Mr. Lippman, oh. and when George goes for the interview, he's called Mr. Lippman, for some reason he's credited as Mr. Brickman. I'm guessing that was a mistake. Possibly, yeah. His credits weren't updated when they uh, changed the the actor and, and character name. Possibly. Yeah. <laughs> they probably just dragged it across from the old credits, and they were like, yeah. oh, whatever. Yeah, Brickman, Lippman, no one will notice. Shit happens. Yeah. In 2019, two idiots will notice from Australia. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But that's, you know, that's 28 years away. Whatever. <laughs> Yeah, those young kids now, when they're older and wiser, they'll know what the hell to do. <laughs> um, he's appeared, Richard Rather's appeared in the films Nixon, Tango and Cash, and The Girl Next Door. That's right. A couple right. of decent ones there. Yeah, and he's also had some pretty solid roles in General Hospital and Mad Men. Yes, and he's also appeared in uh, TV shows as well, Third Rock from the Sun, Doogie Howser MD, and The District. That's right. Yeah, that's right. So uh, what do you reckon? I'll talk a little bit about Mr. Lippman and what he's done. And we'll uh, analyse him. Sure. Yeah, cool. So, Mr. Littman is the Jewish owner of Pendant Publishing and Elaine's boss for the first half of the series. Uh, he's divorced and he has a son named Adam. I'm a man. <laughs> when he kisses Elaine. Yeah. How good's that? Um, Elaine makes numerous decisions that upset Mr. Littman, such as recommending Marion's book of poetry that brought Kramer in tears in the library. Uh, she convinced him to hire George in the Red Dot, but, you know, George has sex with the maid and yep. he gets fired. You're fired. Yep, you're fired. Uh, Mr. Lippman also gets upset with her edit of Jake Jarmel's book in The Sniffing Accountant, which he felt she added too many exclamation points. Oh, I got <laughs> someone for you. I'm leaving. Ha, ha, ha. So good. Um, in The Cigar Store Indian, Lippman buys a Cigar Store Indian from Kramer, in which he agrees to a publish... Kramer's coffee table book and he also puts Elaine in charge of editing it with Toby much to her dissatisfaction in the fire a promotion becomes available and Lippman gives it to Toby instead of Elaine because he felt sorry for her losing her pinky toe yep. oh you're great you're great <laughs> I love Toby I can't wait till we do the fire that's going to be a good ad <laughs> yeah great character too John Favreau plays uh, the clown in that yeah. episode yeah yep cool huh yep bozo bozo b-o-z-o z-o eric the clown eric the clown eric the clown eric what kind the of a name is eric, eric, the, eric clown? the clown <laughs> yeah i know uh, it's also revealed that he respects elaine's opinion in spite of her many mistakes 
In The Marine Biologist, he had Elaine help him greet a famous Russian writer, Yuri Testikov, in a limo, but she ends up offending him by saying War and Peace was originally supposed to be titled War. Oh, what, what is, is it good, good for? for? Yeah. War, what is it good what for? What is it good for? And he gets pissed off. So, I know yeah. Yuri's going to be one of my favourite characters when we get around to Imagine Another Russian dude that you like. Yeah, yeah, just an old, grumpy person who hates everything and hates everyone. Nice. Love him. Nice. In the opposite, it's revealed Pendant Publishing is in severe financial trouble, and we did do this episode of few weeks ago so I won't go too much into it but basically through a uh, series of unfortunate events uh, Littman ends up uh, having pendant publishing closed because he refuses to shake the Japanese businessman's hand that's right for fear of giving him germs yeah in the scoff law Littman was attempting to revive pendant publishing by publishing Jake Jarmel's latest book uh, this failed due to Elaine causing a fight between Jake and Littman over Littman having identical glasses to Jake's allegedly rare, one, uh, mm. rare ones yeah in the muffin tops which we have done before Elaine encounters Lippman at Jacobo Peterman's book signing event. Lippman opens up a bakery that sells only muffin tops called Top of the Muffin to you. Top of the Muffin to you. To you. Yes. This yes, it is. Top of the Muffin <laughs> to you. <laughs> to you. This fails because of an inability to dispose of the muffin bottoms. Lippman's also invited Elaine to his son's bar mitzvah, where Adam kisses Elaine because he's a man now. I'm <laughs> a man. And Adam renounces Judaism. When he's technically not a man, Elaine and Littman later enlist Newman to dispose of the muffin bottoms, where he ends up eating them. <laughs> I love, I love in that scene how he gets those bottles of milk and he goes in the back and he starts smashing you. <laughs> You're gonna need a lot more milk, Newman. Yeah, he's got like fifty liters. Yeah, it's so good. Um, Littman also tries to get together with Elaine in the Serenity Now. Can't believe we haven't done that episode yet. Uh, even renouncing Judaism himself when she claims she only likes her because she has a schizophrenia. Uh, and he also appears in the finale part two, observing the trial of Latham County, you know, where the core four go to jail, as we all know. Apparently in a deleted scene, he tells the district attorney Hoyt about how he fired George for having sex with the cleaning lady on his desk. And uh, while the jury was out deciding on the verdict, Lippmann was among the people that the soup Nazi served some of his soup to. Oh. There you go. So there are his appearances on the... Uh, on the series or in nice. the series nice. Mr. Lippmann so what do you reckon uh, should we talk about him yeah yeah so Lippmann uh, obviously a Jewish guy uh, very successful into publishing he had a successful publishing business which went under due to a series of unfortunate events in the opposite that's right uh, divorced as we have mentioned before what, what's your take on him uh, I think he well the first thing that comes to mind is the fact that Elaine has always made mistakes he's always unhappy with Elaine's I guess uh, choices at work or decisions and I think the only reason he's kept her on for so long is because he's in love with her he's I mean, in he's, love yeah, yeah I, think, I, I think he, he is too, he, says, yeah. he says that he respects her opinion and I think he does to a certain extent but I think it's more so that yeah he's got strong feelings for her yeah. and that's why he keeps her around unrequited he, feelings yeah and yeah. I because he doesn't seem like a man who tolerates mistakes he seems like a very he not, likes not, order. He does. He, he, he doesn't like He knows chaos. what he wants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and I think you kind of have to be that way if you're the CEO of a successful publishing company. Of course. Um, especially in an industry that's probably quite competitive and hard to make it in, so to speak. Yeah. Um, you know, because one failed book could ruin your whole company. Of course. So the fact that he's come this far and it was only a, a, a chain reaction of events from Elaine chewing too many juju fruits that <laughs> caused the downfall of the company, even that's though it was right. in financial... Uh, Stress anyway. Yeah. Um, you know, it would have been saved with the merger with the Japanese conglomerate. Um, yeah. So I think he's just kept Elaine around because he's, he's always had feelings for her. Yeah. And he, I think he downplays his feelings by saying to Elaine that he's only 
he only wants to kiss her because she's got Sheik's repeal. I think yeah. he genuinely loves her. He genuinely loves her and he wants to be with her. Yeah, and I think, yeah. um, you know, the fact that he's divorced, he's probably, and he probably works long hours. Yeah, he's probably a workaholic then. By the yeah, of it. and I think yeah, maybe, yeah. you know, I mean, there are various other female staff at Pendant that you sort of see come and go. But uh, the fact that he spends a lot of time with Elaine... He's always I fixated think, on her. Yeah. yeah. And I think that is... You know, I mean, Elaine's an attractive, smart woman. So, you know, she's attractive in her own right. But I think the fact that she is probably the woman that he spends the most time with just because he works a lot and she works there with him. So, kind of by default, he's developed feelings for her because she, he doesn't have a lot of female company in his life because yeah, his wife's sure. left him or, yeah. you know, he's divorced. Yeah. Uh, and he probably works long hours, so he doesn't have a lot of time to meet women or date women or, you know, anything like that. And then he sees a lot of things in Elaine that he wants, and yeah. uh, unfortunately he can't get. Yeah, and, yeah. I mean, he wouldn't be able to date any authors, uh, you know, or people that he publishes. That'd that be a would bit be of a conflict of interest. Definitely, yeah. yeah definitely unethical. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, yeah, so I... Yeah, I'm not sure if I like Mr. Lipman or not. Like, he's mm, funny. Yeah. But I don't know if I like him as a character, like, yeah. as a person. He's okay. Yeah, I mean, he's not... He's not as immoral or sort of unethical as a lot of the characters. And he's not an idiot. Mm. He's not insane. No. He's just, I don't know, there's just something about him that makes me not like him so yeah. much or something. I don't know. And especially with his attractive, you know, his attraction to Elaine, I don't think we see it much in the Howard Shaw rendition, you know, um, in the library. Yeah. I think we see it more in later, or Harris Shaw, rather. Yeah. Uh, I think we see in the later episodes, Lippmann's attraction, he starts to become more attracted to her. Mm. And then eventually when, like, just to add to what you were saying, when eventually the company goes under, they meet again. Yep. She gives him the idea of topping the muffin to you. He's a mild success yep. before the muffin bottom incident. And then I think his feelings grow even more yeah for her after I think that because he even tries to go in and kiss her yeah. yeah yeah and I think him just like blatantly stealing the muffin tops idea from Elaine and just blatantly opening the shop yeah. you know she was bound to find out at some point I think that was almost a subtle fuck you to Elaine because she didn't feel the same feelings that he did sure you know the fact that you know he, he's lost pendant publishing he's got nothing else going for him he's probably got a shitload of cash <laughs> so he probably doesn't need to work no probably but not he figures, well, I'll just steal this person's ideas. Because love and hate operate at the same volumes. It's it's easy to love someone. And if they don't feel the same way, for that love to turn into hate. So it almost feels like a spiteful move. Yeah, Even though okay. he brings her in, yeah. Um, I think that's... I don't think he wants to bring her in to think... To say... I don't think he's bringing Elaine in because he thinks that they could have a really good, respectful, healthy partnership. I think it's just an excuse so that she's with him more you know, yeah, I was you know thinking it, it like, seems to yeah. shift from like love to hate to love i was thinking what if on the other side of the coin he just wants to bring elaine in to try and impress her yeah to make her see look i'm, I'm a successful businessman you know we went under impendent but in another industry i'm actually doing quite well yeah to to redeem himself in elaine's eyes yeah it's like a form of redemption yeah that's yeah. Right. yeah and i mean that kind of reeks of desperation because a lot of people when they have strong feelings for someone and that is not reciprocated they think that if they just change one thing or do these big bold things that that will change their perception in that other person's eyes. Yeah, not necessarily. And normally it doesn't. It's no, just it doesn't. like they just, they just don't like it. It's you. pretty cringeworthy. Yeah, it, it, yeah. He does have a sort of, not a stench, but like a, a whiff of desperation, yeah. I guess. Mm, you know, yeah. I, I feel like his agenda is pretty clear. Pretty clear. One thing I do admire about him, though, like even though, yeah, you're right about Lippmann, I don't really enjoy him much either. I, I think he's funny. Yeah, yeah, like he's, yeah he's, in that context. Yeah, yeah. and I mean, the, all I like all of his storylines yeah. and I like all of the, the plots that involve him and the sort of incidences that occur around him and stuff and the things that he's involved in but just 
as a person singularly, yeah, I can take him or leave him. Take him or leave him. Yeah. Um, I think with Lipman, he's pretty open to ideas. Yeah. You know, especially with coffee's cra- co- um, coffee's <laughs> Kramer's coffee, coffee table book. book. Yes, yeah, I had yeah. a big day at work. You're right. Um, yeah, I think with that, he's very open to different ideas, new ideas. He likes refreshing things instead of the same old kind of books he'd yeah. rather do something different something more novel mm-hmm. like kramer's book and Good i think pun. he sees yeah yes yeah. that wasn't intentional yeah, he's not really by the book yeah he's not <laughs> we're on the same page <laughs> you're gonna give me a paper cut yeah <laughs> nice nice jesus yeah. um have some yeah. spine <laughs> go along with these puns oh, i need to turn the volume down what volume Oh, yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, that's an audio pun. No, <laughs> Not a be, written word pun. It can be literature as well. That's true. That's Thank true. you. Jeez, Sorry, that went over my head. High and mighty. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I just think he's really open to ideas and uh, he's open to refreshing things. But that was probably the downfall of pen and publishing. Maybe that, maybe these ambitious, you know, acquisitions of different ideas, maybe was the reason why they were in financial stress. Yeah. Possibly, I, you know, because other other publishers probably looked at these ideas and said, what the hell? Yeah. What's this? Whereas Lipman said, all right, let's try this. All right, let's try this. Let's try this. And eventually it didn't sell. A lot yeah. Of, they lost uh, a lot of revenue. That's right. And yeah. a lot of businesses have their bread and butter. They know what works for them, but then they also create some room for innovation, you know, ideas that might be a bit left of center for them. But maybe this one was a bit too far left of center. Yeah, or I, Lipman was a bit too far left of center yeah. when it came to options. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. I can almost see it as like a timeline. I mean, we don't know when his wife and him separated. We don't know anything about her. I would assume maybe because, you know, a lot of people when they're going through a hard time in their life or major upheaval, they kind of take riskier. They make riskier choices. Yeah. So maybe, you know, through the 80s and early 90s, Pendant Publishing was a powerhouse in, in, in New York and in American sort of publishing. Maybe his wife left him or maybe he split from his wife in sort of like early to mid 90s around when Elaine came along right and I don't know maybe that made him take some some more riskier make some more riskier moves and start to publish books like a coffee table book oh so you reckon that caused it yeah I mean I could see a relation in that you know like I mean I've been through periods of my life where uh, you know, someone has left me or things aren't going so well and I make choices or do things that seem a bit out of character. Okay. So, I don't know. I mean, it's a it's a vague link, but, yeah. you know, just thinking about his journey as a character, I don't know. Or maybe they've always been risky and then, you know, sometimes the risks just don't pay off. But you think he's always consistently done it since the divorce, all these different ambitious ideas he's just brought yeah, on? Yeah, I think he's always had a streak of innovation within publishing. I think he's always had a mix of, you know, just publishing books that he know will sell, that he knows will sell, you know, to, to keep the money coming in. But then he's always made it a point to also publish things that, you know, might sell a lot or might sell a little. But he just took too many risks and maybe that increased after his wife left him or, okay. you know, after the split. Wow, so yeah. sad. Yeah. <laughs> so melancholy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he does have an air of, like I said, he's got an air of sadness or desperation he does, about him. He's got, he? Yeah. He, he always comes across as, like... There's a bit of emptiness there, or something's missing, or he yeah. just he just wants something more. You know, yeah. he always seems, you know, and that maybe that would explain why he uh, is redecorating his office unnecessarily. Yeah, you don't unnecessarily. need to read, you know, with uh, Indian motifs. That's right. With yeah. the, with the, I think does he say southern southern motif? Oh, southern motif. Yes, yeah, that's right. you know, um, yeah, you know. I mean, again, that why would you spend all that money just to redecorate your office? He I just mean, tries if, to make him feel himself feel good. Yeah, yeah it, yeah. it seems like he's always trying to fill a hole, maybe with okay, with yeah. sort of things that won't do that job or maybe he's a fan of western films yeah who knows, <laughs> who knows? Yeah. but yeah so he's got an empty void yeah i think yeah. so okay. yeah fair yeah. enough yeah and yeah. um yeah i think his son 
also, you know, growing up, that would have been a bit of a blow to him as well because, you know, it's always a bag of mixed feelings, I think, for parents when they see their kid growing up. You're happy that they're turning into an adult, but you're also happy that they're getting closer to leaving and becoming their own person. Yeah, we won't talk about Adam too much. We'll no. do him when we do the episode he's in. But uh, Definitely. Yeah, I think he really looks up to his father. Yeah. I think he aspires to be like his dad in mm. terms of business and stuff, and yep. uh, I think he really looks out for him. Yeah, I think yeah. he respects his father a lot. He does, yeah. I yep. think so too. Yeah, there you go. That's uh, that's Lipman, man. Yeah. Do you have anything else on him? No, not really. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I I like, yeah, like I said, I, I like everything that is around him and everything that he's involved in mm. storyline-wise, yep. but just him individually as a character, I'm like, eh, yeah, I, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, Something yeah. is just off-putting. I can't mm. quite pinpoint why. Fair enough. Uh, but he does strike up a good friendship with Kramer. He does. He, like that, I think they become friends. Yeah. Yep. After all the, the coffee table stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I could see them maintaining a friendship, you know, after the, the coffee table debacle, even though he's unhappy with Kramer when he, um, <laughs> you know, spills the coffee <laughs> on right. Regis and Kathy Lee. Kathy Lee, yeah. yeah you know, cancel and he cancels his whole yeah. promo tour. That's right. I think he would have maintained a friendship with him outside of their professional relationship. I'd say so too, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Uh, do you have anything about him? No, nah, that's it, man. Cool. Mr. Right. Pitt. Yeah, sounds good. Cool. Played by the late British actor Ian Abercrombie. Uh, he's a, He was a prolific stage actor. Uh, and he made his American stage debut in 1955 in a production of Stalag 17. He's also appeared in versions of Mary Stewart, Hamlet, Journey's End, and Burton Maisie, among others. Nice. Uh, I just wanted to mention as well, he's also acted in uh, Jurassic Park The Lost World. Oh, he did? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he played... What did he play? Was it I can't a, remember. Yeah. He's one of the evil guys. One of the evil guys, I think yeah. So, yeah. Cool. He, he could be a good evil guy. Yeah, I mean, he's got yeah. the... he's got the um, What's it called? The, the British accent? The renou- <laughs> is it the renounced? No, the pronounced. What You know the you know that posh... Like uh, the Stewie Griffin family yeah, guy kind there's of There's a technical name for that accent. It's like the pronounced British accent or uh-huh. the renounced... I just call the, it British villainy. Yeah. The British villain the posh, accent. The posh British accent. <laughs> the posh British accent, yes. And a James Bond villain accent. Yeah. Um, also, for film, he's known for appearing in uh, Lost World Jurassic Park, as you mentioned before, uh, Army of Darkness and Inland Empire. Uh, he's been in a lot of television shows. Uh, he voiced Chancellor Palpatine in the animated TV series Star Wars The Clone Wars, and he featured in episodes of Santa Barbara and Dynasty. Um, and for, as Mr. Pitt rather, he's appeared in six episodes of Seinfeld, all in season six, uh, as well as the finale part two. Uh, he passed away in 2012 at the age of 77. That's right. So, yes, Elaine's boss during season six, uh, he's an executive of Double Day Publishing Company, and he hired Elaine to be his assistant solely because she reminded him of Jackie Onassis <laughs> when they first met. And that's funny because Elaine is wearing that headscarf and has the sunnies yeah. on, which like the Jackie O kind of look. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Definitely her style. Her style, yes. Sometime after permanent publishing went out of business, obviously she went to work for Pitt. However, he is rather obsessive-compulsive, and I'd probably say Stephen even very childlike as well. Yeah. Yeah. He's got a lot of... Uh, very needy, very dependent, isn't yeah, he? Yeah. He's, he's, he's very independent, but he's also very needy. It's sort of a contradiction. Mm, like, yeah, he's very... Yeah. He's very... He likes things done his own way, but at the same time, he needs people to do things for him. Yeah. It's, a strange, right. it's a strange contradiction. Yeah. And things include spending hours finding the perfect pair of socks. Yeah. Poor Elaine can't go to Atlantic City because of that. <laughs> I, I love that oh. phone conversation they have where Jerry and Elaine are like kids. They're like, hey, you there? Oh, I can't come. Yeah. Why? I love the look on Elaine's face when she realizes <laughs> that she can't come. Yeah. She can't go to Atlantic She's City. She's not just disappointed that she can't go party in Atlantic City. Can't have City. your socks tomorrow? No, I want my socks today. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> it's the combination of knowing you can't go party with your mates. But also the reason why, like that would be so fucking embarrassing. Oh, imagine, imagine calling up 
your mates being like, oh, I can't go, like, I can't go do this awesome fun thing. I can't come to your Bucks night yeah. or your stag do or uh, your uh, bachelor party for our American and British listeners because I've got to, I don't know, sort M&Ms into different colors. Like, you, you just feel like the biggest loser. Yeah, like, what? How did my life get to this point where I can't go on a holiday yeah. because I've got to find the right socks for my fussy boss? She's almost like a slave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Poor girl. Yeah, she just feels so many feelings. I love it. I don't know. And she's also done things like sharpen pencils, remove salt from pretzel sticks, one uh, tickets for Thanksgiving Day yep. in the mum and pop store. Uh, he's also had the unusual habit of eating Snickers bars with a fork and knife. Yeah. Uh, in the Diplomats Club, Justin was going to put Elaine in his will, claiming she was like a daughter to him. He and Jerry met at the pharmacy, but he fires her after he and his attorney suspect Elaine and Jerry are trying to kill him. Uh, he also shows up in the finale part two to testify against Elaine, where he claims Elaine and Jerry tried to kill him, and he even claims that J- Elaine tried to smother him with a pillow. So, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> just just you saying and kind of like listing all the things that he needs Elaine to do to him, uh, yeah. do for him, not to him, <laughs> maybe. Oh, you never knows. know. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> that wasn't in the script. No, you know, for a bonus. Um, <laughs> oh, shit. He kind of like he's Pretty not- me too, Aaron. He's not evil, but yeah. he kind of reminds me of Mr. Burns in that he's, he's so- like he's so infantilized, he can't right, do right. anything without an assistant. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah you know, yeah. like I mean, yeah, Mr. Burns is the perfect. Um, yeah, perfect, I mean, Mr. Burns yeah, is yeah. evil and and you know, like much more power hungry. Hmm. He's more maniacal, and Mr. Lipman is like a pussycat. He's not evil or, oh, or no, maniacal. Pitt. Pitt, sorry, what did I say? Pitman. Lipman. Lipman. Pitt. <laughs> Pittman. Pitt. Shit. Um, <laughs> but, but, I, I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah but yeah. Elaine is kind of like his Smithers. Like right. he he needs someone to do everything for him because he's useless without an assistant. Yeah, sure. He's not a very independent person. No, he's not. No, he's very infantile. Yeah, yeah you're right. Anyway, yeah. So Mr. Pitt, he I think he's there's. I love that scene where he tries to find that um, something in the 3D art. Yeah, you know that one. He's trying to look, and Graham's like, "Oh, it's a spaceship with asteroids <laughs> and, and moons and stuff." And then he's looking for ages and ages, and and he gets so obsessed. Yeah, obsessed to the point where he misses board meetings and he's almost late. And yeah, he. I think he's one of those people who just latches onto things, and maybe ten minutes later he avoids them. Yeah, I think it's um, um, like. I mean, he clearly states that his father was a stern man, and you know he forbade us from what uh, from interacting, doing fun things, from doing fun things, yeah. you know that are that were associated with the common man. So <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I think when he has the opportunity to do something that his father forbade him, it's almost like my- mystical. It's like, oh my god, this I've heard about these things. Like, if you don't think he has ADHD and he just has the attention span of a gnat, no, and he just gets over stuff in five minutes. No, I think because the things that he becomes obsessed over. You know, like magic, what are, you know, magic eye pictures or whatever you want to call them, yeah, three D yeah, yeah. pictures, yeah. and the Woody Woodpecker balloon at the uh, Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. They're things that you would consider working class or yeah. you know associated with a common man. So when he has the opportunity, I think for him it's almost like indulging in a fantasy or mm-hmm. something that's just so out of character. It's it's like a. It, you know, it's doing something he would just never normally do because he was brought up to believe that that's just not something he should do. It's for the common man, and he's yeah. very because he's from old money, I'd imagine. That's right. Yeah, and uh, yeah, yeah, and I mean, yeah, I mean, he's obviously very wealthy, and it it it's comes across as like inherited old money wealth. Yeah, of course. But um, you know, when he snaps out of it, especially when he's obsessed with the three D paintings, I think he's remembering his upbringing. Like this, you know, this is below me. It's almost like a temporary obsession. And then he comes back to reality and he goes, what? Like, what am I doing? So all those things he missed out on in childhood, he wants to do in his old age. Yeah. yeah. But I think it's only a temporary thing because sure. the, you know, the, the the man that his father raised him to be and who he should be, you know, given his position in, in society or whatever, 
is so ingrained that those obsessions are only temporary. Okay. Know, they last yeah. for five or ten minutes. Yeah, that's and right. Then, and then, and then, then, that, over, and then, it, yeah. then his true self kind of comes back and goes, what? Like almost slaps himself on the face and goes like, what What am I doing? Like yeah. this is not who I am. Yeah, exactly. It's so out of character. Yeah, yeah that's right. Um, I think as well, because I was looking up, up, you know, I was trying to sort of like package his uh, character traits together and associate or like link them to maybe some sort of, you know, personality type or something you know like something in a psychological textbook or an article or something like that (laughs) sure and the common theme that i found is just textbook narcissism narcissism yeah yeah yeah. so i mean there's many forms of narcissism but uh one that i found was that uh if you have a high high uh high self-concept um a very big ego and as a result you try and project a superior identity to others so i think a lot of his behavior is and controlling nature his fussy nature is due to a you know, ingrained narcissism. Narcissism, yeah. and and just being spoiled as a child. I definitely basically getting anything he wanted because yep. he had all the money. Yep. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I. Yeah. I mean, I almost feel sorry for him. I think his father damaged him. I think you he know, did. Yeah. I mean, he's he's a very smart man. He's obviously very educated, of course, and he knows how to mix in the blue blood circles and he's members of he's the member of like certain boards. Yeah. In the show know, and stuff. Like as he's well. he's, yeah. he's a he's a he he's. He's, you know, he's in a very privileged position in, in life, yeah. you know, inherited, but he knows how to maintain that and operate in that world. But I just think he's so, he was so deprived of, of, of sort of agency as a child that he lacks common sense and he lacks the ability to just do normal human things, yeah. you know, and he, he needs to control every little aspect of his world like the salt on pretzels and yeah. he's so fussy and demanding mm. and that, i find he's very unaware as well especially yeah. in the scene where he after a comedy of mishaps he's seen to look like hitler yeah you know and then he goes out and he does his thing he's like a next poland yeah you know all that kind yeah. of stuff he's just very unaware yeah he definitely just, you know yeah elaine says oh look you got something on your lip and he goes what yeah and he, and he looks like hitler yeah. yeah 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 and i mean i think that you can associate that with the lack of common sense you know yeah, people people yeah. who don't have much common sense usually don't have a lot of self-awareness or awareness yeah. of what's going on around them which i found i know it was for comedic effect but i just found that interesting yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. i i couldn't i couldn't really explain or figure out why do you think he hates ink so much what do you think it was about what do you think <sighs> it is about ink he probably like he said he doesn't like it when it runs yeah mm, i don't I just, know maybe he had some sort of traumatic it seems to be like a very severe dislike <laughs> for ink like maybe it was linked to some sort of traumatic event or something in his childhood or maybe he was signing something and then the ink went everywhere and he got traumatized yeah possibly Mm. (laughs) i i couldn't figure out as well you know i watched the scene where he first meets elaine and he's just besotted with her because she She uh, she reminds him so much of jackie anassis yeah do you think it's like a sexual attraction or more like a maternal attraction? Mat- maternal, you mean? Or yeah. I think it's more like a father-daughter relationship. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think there's oh, anything no, no, sexual I, or... No, I think because Jackie Onassis would have been, you know, around the same age. Like, they would have been both young adults into adulthood before mm-hmm. Jackie O died. Yeah, right. So, I don't think it was a... I don't think he sees Elaine as a daughter. I mean, oh, okay. I think it's more... Well... That's the way I saw the relationship evolve into. Yeah. I saw it evolve into, like, a father-daughter kind of relationship. Okay. Because, you know, eventually he puts Elaine into the will. Mm. And, she, and and he actually... He explicitly says, right. you're like one of my daughters. That's true, actually. You know? Yeah. So, yeah, now that's the way I saw it. It's more of, like, a paternal, uh, you know, daughter relationship. Yeah, no, That's the that, way I saw it. Yeah, no, no, no. nothing sexual. No. I know. No, I was thinking, why do you... <laughs> Because his 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 like for Jackie Onassis is more than just 
I like her as a person. Like he he elevates her to the level of like superhuman or godlike. Maybe or he had an affair with Jackie Ho. <laughs> see, I don't think he did. I think no. he saw Jackie as maybe the affection because he never talks about his mother. He the only time he mentions his parents is when he mentions his stern father. Yeah. So I reckon maybe his mother wasn't around, or maybe. You know, I mean, it's there was of, there was no maternal figure in his life. Yeah, I just well, even yeah. if she, even if she was around, I don't think they had a solid relationship. And I think, and again, this ties back into his personality of being really controlling and fussy and pedantic. Yeah, I think he is lacking in maternal love. You know, like family family love. Yeah, exactly. I think I yep, think his yep. relationship with his mother, if she was around, was cold and distant. Yeah, and maybe he was raised by nannies or you know sort of servants or maybe his mother passed away yeah at a young age something like that possibly yeah yeah and i think maybe he got that affection from jackie onassis maybe she was because she's always been considered a warm you know awesome like a lovely person like yeah. just a, someone that everyone loves because she's just got a warmth about her and a and a sort of an energy i guess whatever yeah, yeah an aura yeah an aura like princess so, di used to have yeah exactly yeah, yeah. like i think there's a lot of similarities there so maybe yeah. he got that from her even though jackie wasn't sort of maternal to him in his in his youth mm-hmm. yeah and maybe he saw that in elaine like it sort of it sort of you know it turned it evolved into jackie being sort of a maternal figure to him even though they were approximately the same age yeah, yeah. and then that sort of trans trans transformed yeah, into okay. like a paternal like the love that he got from jackie he put then down onto elaine i know this is elaine. like more, like a weird psychoanalysis but <laughs> it does. Is, yeah <laughs> i'm with bloody freud over here <laughs> yeah yeah i don't know just too much fraser <laughs> <laughs> too much fraser yeah. yeah you're so highbrow yes yes yep. um but yeah now mr pitt very immature man even though he's very successful financially and uh, he's very clumsy as well, especially yeah. when he goes to Jerry by mistake. He thinks he's a pharmacy assistant and, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he mixes up his medicines and nearly dies. Yeah, that's right. So he's very clumsy and irresponsible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. Lacking common sense. Lacking common sense, yeah. And I think he – I don't think he would have been as successful as an ex- – like, you know, he's he's an executive at Doubleday, probably in the upper management. Yeah. Very, very upper course. management. Oh, it's extreme, yes. And I think even though he's smart and educated and probably, you know, knows that world publishing, you know, better than or as good as anyone, I think he's only in that position because of his societal position, because yeah. of his family connections. Of course, and, and his blue blood yeah, exactly. mentality as well. Yeah. 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 I mean, they never talk about Doubleday, but I get I get the impression that maybe it's like an older publisher that would only publish, you know, like sort of highbrow books. <laughs> publish Charles Dickens novels. Yeah, unlike, unlike <laughs> Pendant, which, you know, is maybe a bit more modern progressive. and progressive and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. and I think he would have been secretly happy when, uh, when Pendant you know, goes out of business mm-hmm. would have been not just from a business point of view of like, oh, well, that's one less competitor, but also like a, you know, this represents modernity and change and, you know, us in the old in the old world, and in the old boys club. You did, we don't like you, them. No, we don't. And uh, you mentioned before about the decor of Lippmann's office, yeah. the southern motif. You can actually see that Pendant Publishing, the office looks more modern, mm. like for the 90s, I guess, yeah. modern with the stylings and stuff, whereas... A double day looks like old. It's all mahogany, you know, yeah. like real old man, the, old fashioned. It's kind probably of the same style. furniture from six generations probably, ago. Probably, yeah. And so you can see the contrast. Obviously, Double Day is a more old style publisher, whereas Pendant was becoming more innovative, more modern, yeah, more you know, a bit more uh, left of center. Yep. So yeah, you can definitely see the contrast. So Elaine going from that modern environment to something a bit old fashioned, and then later to Peterman, who's more high fashion, high end. Yeah, as well. Yeah, it's quite yep. a contrast. It's interesting, and it's 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 great to see that Elaine was well. Besides Jerry, I could imagine, but it's great to see Elaine was the only character out of the core four who had steady 
jobs yeah. basically for the whole season. Yep. The whole series, rather. Yeah. It was great she, to see. she changes yeah. jobs two or three times. Yeah, but that's it. They last at least. I mean, she's with uh, Doubleday and, and Mr. Mr. Pitt. Pitt for a season. That's right. But then she's with uh, Jay Peterman for, what, three seasons? Yeah. From and season then, seven to nine. And she's with Lipman for the first, first four half. or five. Yeah, 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 that's right. That's true. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, you know, Jerry's probably the most consistently employed. Employed, <laughs> you know, he's just a comedian all the way through. But it's not steady employment, though. No, that's true. I mean, she has steady employment. Yeah, no, that's time, true. I know what work. you mean. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do you, Do you like Mr. Pitt? I liked Mr. Pitt. Yeah, he's yeah, fucking yeah. funny. He's he's good. Yeah, I forgot I how much him. I liked him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, I don't yeah, think yeah. we've really done any episodes just out of some strange random no. occurrence we haven't done any episodes with him in it no well it's funny because we have done a few season six episodes or yeah. several but no none with Pitt. i feel like season six is probably the most underrepresented episode uh season out of all the episodes we've done so far well i, I actually i have a list on, oh. on our um on our drive yep. of episodes that we haven't done yet okay so maybe we can have a look and go oh which ones are season six yeah you know, maybe we should start focusing on some seasons you know we don't want to go to the end of the show's run and yep. then we've done all the seasons except one it's like oh jeez mm. yeah we like to mix it up Definitely. We like to swap every now and then, as Watley would say. That's <laughs> true. That's right. Uh, no, I liked Pitt. Yeah, no, I yeah. think he's really funny. My favorite Pitt moment is when uh, he's really hyped up that Elaine knows all the um, big band songs. Oh, that's and right. He's yes. like, Elaine, do you think you could guess this song title? And she's like, yeah, yeah, give me the second. Next up, Pottersville. Yeah, After Pottersville, yeah. Pottersville. Not when he's dancing, but yeah. when she just goes, would you shut up? And he goes, oh, sorry. Oh, and he sorry. sort of, he jumps back because he's, he's just excited. so like, he's, 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 he's worried that he yeah. offended Elaine. He's yeah. just like, oh, sorry. Uh, uh. <laughs> I just love everything about that is hilarious. My favorite pit moment is him with the 3D art. Kramer yep. brings in the art and then he's staring at it for like hours <laughs> and he's, he's almost missing meetings and he just yeah. gets so entranced and he's like I think I see it I see something <laughs> I, see, I think I see a spaceship <laughs> I think I see a spaceship and then Elaine like convinces him to go to the meeting and then he snaps out of it that's right and then yeah. he looks like Hitler I share that frustration because it took me I don't know probably until like my early to mid 20s to to, to, to see uh, the images in 3D paintings like you know when they were big in the early to mid 90s I always tried but I could just never get it mm. and then I think I was at someone's house one day and I saw the book I'm like oh yeah, I remember these from the 90s and I tried it and it just happened straight away I was nice. just like oh cool okay. actually, you can actually see stuff yeah, you can yeah, see yeah. a frog so I, or a pony or yeah whatever. whatever it's supposed to be a spaceship <laughs> yeah. so I share Mr. Pitt's frustration of like I can't see it and Kramer's just like it's right there what are you talking about and he's just like I can't <laughs> and even Elaine's like yeah it's right there yeah like what are you talking about just, <laughs> yeah, yeah. just unfocus your eyes and you're like I'm, trying. I'm trying to unfocus yes yeah actually a bit misleading it is yeah yeah he was a good character yeah, yeah. definitely and uh, we did mention before the last break um we won't speak about jay peenerman we'll just say he's played by john o'hurley the reason why is because we already have a standalone what's the deal episode uh, for him that's so right go back and listen to it yes and you'll get all the information you want about peterman yeah but we will acknowledge that peterman was one of elaine's bosses yeah i mean yep. given the title of this episode i think it's uh, only only fair to mention him at least <laughs> that's right so that were the secondary characters in this episode uh how about we take a quick break steve and we'll find out if Lipman and pitt make our top 20 secondary characters of all time ultimately i don't think they'll stay up no no they'll, they'll stay up for a while yes but not in the long run but that's why i got you the tighter one don't forget about those <laughs> why do you keep mentioning those what do you want i want a decent sock that's comfortable that'll stay on my foot today is another what's the deal with episode and we did speak about elaine's bosses particularly mr Lippman slash breckman from the red dot <laughs> well he was breckman in the red dot as well as mr pitt uh we didn't mention peterman because we already have an episode of his so like we have mentioned several times in this episode go back and listen to that one but Stephen, i have to ask you my good friend does pitt or Lippman 
go in your top 20 secondaries of all time? Mr. Pitt does. Oh, right. What number? Uh, 14. 14. Yeah. Good. I really like Mr. Pitt. Yeah, And yeah, I forgot yeah, how yeah. much I liked him until we did this episode because we haven't done any episodes, like any normal uh, Seinfeld episodes with him in it. So no, I kind of, which is really weird. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he's, yeah, a, yeah. he's a pretty well-known secondary character. Um, but I don't know. I guess, you know, when you don't watch an episode with him and you kind of forget how good he is. Yeah, exactly. You know? No, I, I really enjoyed him as well. Yeah. What about yeah. you? Well, I liked Mr. Pitt a lot. Unfortunately, just missed out on my 20. Uh, yeah, I know. Just just missed out, unfortunately. But yeah, he he's Pittman, Pittman rather was really good. Pittman, you did the same P- thing. I, I did, did the same thing you did before. Mr. Lip and Mr. Pittman. Mr. L- Mr. Lip Pitt. Um, <laughs> and yeah, um, Ian Abercrombie, he portrayed him really well. I just yeah. loved, you're right. I think the perfect analogy or the perfect comparison was Mr. Burns. Except the evil. Except the evil. He didn't yeah, have the he's evil a less, in him. He's a non-evil Mr. Burns. That's right, yes. Exactly. Just rich, spoiled, completely inept at just basic life things. And Elaine's the straight, heterocyst um, Smithers, yeah. <laughs> I suppose. Yes. Yeah. Elaine's the Smithers. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yep, yep, yep. He's, she's the Smithers. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you want to check out our top 10 or 20 secondary characters so far that we've reviewed... Um, or our top 10 episodes that we've done, uh, just check the link in the show notes. There is a word file there that you can uh, check out. That's right. And next week, we're going to season four. We're going to send out Christmas cards with our nipples on them and pick <laughs> our nose. We're talking about the pick. Love that episode. No pick. No pick. <laughs> Poor Everyone's Kramer. calling me nip. Everyone's calling me nip. <laughs> My nephew keeps it under his bed. Hey, nip. Hey, nip. <laughs> Oh man, hey, I can't Nip, wait for this that episode. Enjoy <laughs> <laughs> the file, Nip. Stop calling me Nip. Oh, I can't so, wait to do this episode. It's going to yeah, be a good one. It's going to be a cracker. If you want to follow us on social media, you can at B I D W B A S C. You want to send us an email, say hey, what's going on? Bidwabaskpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on pretty much any podcast platform iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, pretty much all them. That's right. Yeah. You can rate us, review us, spread the word. Um, and if you want to tell anyone about us, that would be amazing. And uh, you can check us out on Patreon as well, patreon.com forward slash Bidwabask, B-A-D-W-B-A-S-C. Uh, check out tiers. We've got $1, $2, and $5 a month tiers for various levels of access and goodies. Mm. And uh, we also have a content creator podcast. Uh, sorry, tier podcast. Oh, no. The content creator one is the $5 a month. Oh, yeah. This yeah. You spend the, more time on Patreon than me. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> Just waiting for that money. Yes. Yes. Anyway, we'll be back next week for The Pick. My name's Ivan. I'm Stephen. And we'll see you then. <laughs>